Good morning, everyone. Is it afternoon? Nope, still morning. How everybody? How's everyone doing? Everyone's doing good. Amen. 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 Well, I pray that your week has gone well this week. I pray that your week has gone well, and that you have been blessed. How many of you this week just said thank you to the Lord this week? Yes. Yes. Okay. That's good. How many of you told Satan he know where he can go? (laughs) This is how it reads in Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete. So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers. Another translation may say faithful and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Point number two today, we're still dealing with the same title, No Deviations. No Deviations, part three. Point number two is this. Place the right people in the right position. Place the right people in the right position. The word debauchery, and some of you are thinking, now what does that mean? It means excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. Excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. In verse number four, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's titles or his openings often carries this same type of greeting in many of his letters and the books that he has written. Grace and peace, grace and mercy are often the salutation to what he writes. The title Savior is used six times in this letter to Titus, Savior. Three times Savior is used to apply to God the Father. And three times it is used to apply to Jesus. Each time Savior is used of God, it is closely followed with Savior as applying to Jesus. So when Paul uses, uses this word in the book of Titus, it is often followed closely by Savior referring to Jesus, which is very interesting. Paul uses, as I said, almost the same greeting to Titus as he did in 1 Timothy. And this is what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. Hey, sunshine, good to see you. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace Mercy 
and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. If you thought that you came here to this world already saved, I need to let you in on a little secret. You weren't, and you didn't come here already saved. You didn't come here already willing to do the right thing. Do you know that we come here born backwards, going the opposite direction? Have you noticed that little children, babies, one, two, you know, one and a half, two years old, beginning to talk, their first word is no. It's not because it's the easiest word. It's because they're just rebellious little rascals. <laughs> we said, oh, how cute. We said, oh, yes, they said no to me. Not so cute when they get older, huh? <laughs> but but we, we love the expression, so we encourage them. But children don't have to be taught to do wrong oftentimes. They've got to be taught to do right. You tell a child no, and they automatically believe that that means that they're supposed to do the opposite of what you just said. And you know that they're smart because they'll look right at you as they're reaching to do the very thing that you told them not to do. Little kids. Very, very smart. Very smart. In psychology, they used to call it the tabula rasa. In other words, they thought at one point that children, you could just write on a tablet like you're imprinting upon a child with a blank slate. But they come to find out that actually, no, children also make impressions upon other people. You're just not writing or telling kids or just writing something on a blank slate. No, they've got expressions. And what they say and do influences others as well. When you get saved, the Lord saves you, even though you are saved as a sinner. We are saved by God's grace. It's God who places his grace and his mercy upon us as sinners. In other words, you don't bring anything to the picture or the equation. All that you bring is your sin. I know, as I tell you often, we want God to look at our perfect and wonderful qualities. No. No, no. And so as we go through this list over the next couple of weeks, I just want to stress that we come in a certain way, but Paul's expectations to Timothy is that people don't remain there. And those that are going to be placed as an overseer, there are certain qualities and qualifications that must be in place. So Paul tells Titus and Timothy that they must use wisdom and place the right people in place and the criteria he lays out. It is believed that Titus was saved under Paul's ministry as he relates to him as my child, a term of affection. He says the same thing to Timothy, ministers in the faith. Paul, after he came to the Lord, had such a love for the church, such a love for God's word. And he was very adamant that truth be told and that heresy and falsehood be done away with. Paul did not allow just anything to go. In verse number 5, it says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order. 
and appoint elders in every town I directed you. The Bible does not say why Paul left Crete, what happened, and why he told Titus to stay. We don't know if danger came up for Paul. Paul leaves Titus in place and tells him, Now I want you to carry out what I told you to do. But I also want you to remember that Paul is wanting Timothy to hurry up and do what he needs to do because he wants Timothy, uh, excuse me, he wants Titus rather, to come to Nicopolis in Macedonia to meet him. So Paul is going to be sending help to Titus to relieve him of his duties, but he first has to put some things in order. Do you not know that we have at times a time limit in when things can be done? There are some times where we would just procrastinate. Are you a procrastinator? Or are you a person when you are told you get it done right then? There was a person that I worked with in Petaluma. His name was Bill. And, and, and Bill Saladin was one of those individuals to when you told him something that needed to be done, it was normally done the next day. And what Bill would do he would take upon himself. And so we had a situation that came up with two therapists one day. And I only worked there one day a week. They weren't getting along. And so one of them said, you know, they, they had a problem. And they told Bill. And so what Bill did, that night he moved the desk of one of them into the office where he was. So when the person came to work the next day, their office was already moved, the desk was already moved, and to solve the problem into his office. He said, well, I wasn't wanting to move yet. <laughs> There was another occasion where there was a railing that was needed as people that were a little older had a problem navigating the stairs. There was a railing put up two days later. That's just how Bill was. When something needed to be done, Bill made sure that it got done. With me, it depends on what it is. Now I'm going to have to tell it myself real quickly. And I've told you this. I was supposed years ago to put up some chimes for my wife. Those chimes still are not up. I'm going to surprise her one day. I really am. She's going to come home and she's going to hear chimes ringing. <laughs> well, I heard it and then it just kind of kept going. And then I only remember when I hear somebody else's chimes ringing next door. <laughs> Have you ever had this? Oh, I'm supposed to do it. And rather than going to do it right then, I forget again. <laughs> but I'm going to get it done. That's, that's just me. Thank God that none of you have that problem. It's only me. So I can tell on myself. Y'all don't have that problem. So uh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. When Paul gave instructions to Titus, he says, Titus, I need you to put certain ones into place. And so he says, I left you on Crete and I assigned you a job and I need you to do it. Crete is the largest and the southernmost island in the Aegean Sea. It is the extension of the Mediterranean. It's 200 miles wide and 400 miles long. Crete is 156 miles east to west. And at the north to south point, the, at the Baradas base, north to south, it is only 35 miles wide. It has mountains stretching from one end of Crete all the way through that 156, 160 mile stretch. 
And the highest uh, mountain there is about 8,000 feet. And they have mountains reaching 7,882 feet all along that island of Crete. A large Jewish population appeared on Crete in the 2nd century B.C. A very large Jewish community. The Cretans began to mistreat them. And the Jewish group that was there asked the Romans for help. Now, Rome was not in charge at that time, but they had a presence. And Rome said, these are some very compliant people. But they came to their defense to give them some relief from the Cretans in 141 B.C. From this time of the 2nd century B.C. up into the New Testament, there has always been a Jewish settlement on the island of Crete. And they had done very, very well. The Mediterranean Sea, it is over a million square, it has, it has a radius of over a million square miles. The Aegean Sea is right there, and some other rivers, the Kidron, has its water that flows into the Mediterranean. The Cretans had a poet by the name of Epimenides. And in Titus chapter 1, verse number 12, you'll see this here. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, this is what Paul is saying, said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, and lazy gluttons. Epimenides, the poet, is said to have said this. This was in Circa. Circa means approximately. You see that sometimes you see when you're reading Circa or CA, it means approximately or around this time. Epimenides lived in the 600 B.C. Okay, so Paul is taking this quote from 600 B.C. And he was one of their own. So Paul mentions this right here in Titus. This is how they were known. They had become, in fact, mercenaries on this island and were great warriors. The Cretans had been very hard as before the Romans took over in 67 B.C. But the Cretans were known for their brutality. But something happened and it is believed that the Cretans were ripe for salvation. We read about the Cretans also in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2, verse 11. On the day of Pentecost, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. In Jerusalem, on the day of Pentecost, when Paul, Peter made the announcement, when the Holy Spirit came and they were preaching, and the people said, what is this we're hearing? The Cretans, some were right there in Jerusalem. With this large population of Cretans being in Jerusalem, many suggest that even this group that were there took the word of God back to the island of Crete. We never hear Paul in the book of Acts establishing a church in Crete. Now let me just say this. The Cretans, while there's no history of Paul having started a church, and not even Titus is mentioned in the book of Acts, which seems strange. When you get to the end of the book of Acts, chapter 28, the book seems to basically end, some say somewhat abruptly. 
Paul is in prison. He's on house arrest. And some thought that Paul had died and that he never got out of prison. But it is believed that after Acts chapter 28, Paul was released after his first imprisonment from Rome. And it is after he was released that he then made a journey to Crete and established churches there, but it's not recorded in Acts. It's believed that it happened after, and that's why many people believe that it was on his fourth missionary journey that he and Titus may have gone there. Now, because there is no record of Paul establishing any churches in Crete in Acts, as I just mentioned, after Acts 28, some of the commentators and theologians even question in regards to Paul even having been there. But we know that he was there because, in fact, it states that he left Titus actually there. Now, I need you to note something. The directive that Paul gives to Titus to appoint elders, the name elders also means overseer. In the Greek, it's presbyteros. It means one who is an overseer, one who is an elder. Now, get this. On this island, there was a lot of damage that was going on. And Paul was, again, even though it may have been different than what Timothy had to face in Ephesus, the details might have been different. There was still the problem that had to be addressed of putting certain things in order and running into opposition. Let me tell you this. If you're going to be in this walk of life as a believer, you're going to have opposition. And let me also tell you this. That when Paul was putting leaders into place, Paul said that the quality and the expectation of these leaders had to be above reproach. It was not that they were always saved, but it was a fact that there had been such a change in the lives of these leaders that Paul says make sure that when you place these Cretans, those that are there in position, that they have these qualifications. The term elder means, in its Original means aged men, but the name elder also can mean a church leader and does mean a church leader. Every position in ministry has at least three things that you need to note. Every position that's in ministry must have this. Every ministry we should never forget is for the glory of God. Every ministry is for the glory of God. It is to bring honor to the Lord. You are not magnifying your name. I don't know how come they didn't give me this position. I don't know. This position ain't got no prestige. And nobody ever sees me. I want to be seen. Number two, it is for the edifying of the body of Christ. Every position is to edify the body. Every gift is to help build the body. Three, and it is to allow the person to exercise their gift. Let me tell you this. There may be something that you really enjoy doing, but it may not be your gift. And some people insist on doing the very thing that's not their gift and won't do the very thing that is their gift. If you don't know what your gift is, it's fine. It's fine to do things. Where's your passion? And sometimes people think, well, I should just have a note. Gifts have to also be developed. Every position in the church is not for every person. And as Paul is laying out for the elder, he is telling them they must be above reproach. Because why? They have an influence inside the church and they have an influence outside the church. You see, there are some people who never forget what you used to be like. 
Oh, Lord, help us. And they hold that and dangle over your head. I remember when you were 15. <laughs> Never let you forget. But wait a minute. Person has been saved serving the Lord, and they will hold you, and they will act as if God has not called you. Every person in the church that is a believer has a gift. You may not know what it is, but you have a gift. And every position in the church is under the leadership or the headship of the pastor or the elder. Everything comes under the leadership. Why? Because the pastor is accountable. So when Paul is telling Tim Titus, put these individuals in order or in place, and here are the qualifications they must have. Here is what the characteristics must be. Because why? They would be the ones where people would have to come under and serve. In Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseer to take care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Remember, you didn't spill your blood for the church. You didn't give your life. It's his life. And that's why I tell people, oftentimes, you know, your church is, well, I'm, I'm the pastor, but it's, it's the Lord's church. It's, it's, the, it's, the Lord's, it's the Lord's church. He's called me the pastor. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and as I told you, I didn't want to, I always want to pastor when I was younger. I, I, I was going to go do some other things. I wasn't going to, I was no, no. Uh-uh, I saw how they treat the pastor. No, I want, I want no parts of it. I'm going to go do something else. No. And the Lord was saying in the back of him, oh, yes, you are going to be. I'm thinking, no, I'm not. Going to school. And then use the school and then sent me right back to church. Now use what you got to help the church. <laughs> he will use you and he will bless you. Don't you know this, as I have to bring this to a close. Don't you know that when God places you in position that he equips you as well? He equips you. Verses 6 and 7. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, that means one woman's man. One woman's man. The husband of one wife and his children are believers. In other context, it says where his, his children are faithful, not open to the charge of debauchery. We went over that. And or insubordination for an overseer as God's steward. Please remember this. What is an overseer? An overseer or a steward, as an overseer, a steward manages the oikos in Greek, the household of another. In other words, the overseer that's put into place has a responsibility. The steward is a person who oversees or manages something that belongs to someone else. So you as a steward of what God has given you have been given something, a gift, so that you can then present it back to God when he requires. If we always remember that we are stewards, our managers, it will help us. While the pastor is an overseer and the steward, you also are a steward as well. Going on, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Many people on the outside have to hold that person and right recognition and regard. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. 
Some of them may have been this way, but this is not their characteristic now. So that a person who does not meet this criteria cannot be put in the position as the elder or the overseer. There are many people who feel that their gift is always to preach. There are some people. As compared to being a helper or a server, do you not know that a pastor is really just a servant? And what Paul was having to deal with in regards to Titus and Timothy, it was the issue of dealing with many of the Cretan believers or some of the the Jewish leaders that was causing such a problem in the church that Paul tells Titus, stop them, don't put them into position because they are opposing the work of the church. So Paul says, for an overseer, as God's steward, he must be above reproach. That means there has to be this matter of qualification where one is looking and inspecting one's life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. You say one thing to some people the wrong way, and boy, they'll go up you one side and down the other. Can't say anything. Or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain. This matter of greedy for gain could deal with various things, but the idea seems to surround one that was greedy for money, one that was using it to exact or usury, extensive interest, one that felt like one would just do anything because they felt that the position would give them this. Paul says, can't be that person, cannot be in place. It did not mean that a person would not pay for what they did, but where one was not greedy for gain. Paul is saying there has to be evidence in the lives of the person. Do you not know that we are fruit inspectors? Help us, Lord. (laughs) You are a fruit inspector. There must be evidence in the person's life that these things are there. If they are doing the exact same thing when they were living in the world, that means there has not been growth and they are not to be put in that position. If anyone's past could have been counted against them, that would be Paul. Because Paul was out fighting against the church. And here's Paul now setting the conditions of what an old overseer and an elder must be. Now that's deep. Because Paul was the most radical person there could be. In Paul's list, he lists five negatives, five negatives, and six positive traits. Paul is telling Titus, there can be no deviations from what I've called you to do. There can be no compromise. The world wants you to compromise. There was such, as churches were being established, there was such opposition because here is this matter of Jesus and the power of the Lord and churches being created and started where from the very start, the church structure and people have to be put into place. And because churches were started and there was such opposition, there was always a problem and issues and difficulties that leaders and those that were being put into place, those that were selecting them and saying you are to put them into place, there was always problems. Now get this, Paul says in all the churches in Crete, there was more than one church. And Paul says, put elders in all the churches. And if you look at Paul's ministry carefully, you will find that he is setting up elders, overseers, and putting them in position. And when you look at Acts chapter 20, you'll see that he called the Ephesians to them and he has given them instruction about how they must be. 
Let me tell you this. Let nobody run you off from your gift. Let nobody run you off from what God has called you to do. Now, one has to come under submission, but if God has gifted you, which everyone has a gift, there may be a time element involved before you may exercise, but God has called you to work, to work. God has not called for any bench warmers. Your gift may be praying behind the scene. Your gift may be of helps, helping people. Whatever God has called you to do, do it with all your heart and without compromise. Amen. We're going to pick up next week, continue, I should say, next week in Titus. If any of you, stand with me to your feet. If any of you are struggling right now and trying to figure out, God, what am I to do? What's my calling? Well, I just wanted to say this. Pray and get busy. And the moment that you begin to exercise your calling and your gifting, Satan, the enemy, is going to do everything he can to oppose you. He'll do what he can. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for who you are. and We thank you for your goodness and your righteousness. And we pray that as you've given Paul these words to give to Titus, to put the elders and the overseers in place and uh, to be diligent, to not deviate from the standard of what God you have called. We pray today that we won't deviate from the word of God, but that we will do things according to how you have mandated. That we will help people and recognize that all gifts are to magnify, to glorify you, to, a, to edify the body, and then to allow the person to exercise their gift. We love you for who you are. And we're praying today for people who have not yet said, who have not said yes to the will of God, have not said yes to the glorious plan of salvation. We want people saved. We want souls to be delivered. We want people to be with you in eternity in heaven. Lord, not in hell, but we are praying today that people say, yes, I'm going to do it God's way. We love you and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen.